0: This is Cultural Debris with host Alan Cornett. Welcome back to Cultural Debris. We are past frost season in Kentucky, and I've made a vow, well, really more of a general intention, not to buy any new plants until all the ones I've already purchased are, in fact, planted. I won't claim it's fully worked, but I at least pause, if for a moment, before adding another one to the to-be-planted pile. Last year, I confess, I had some plants that I never quite got around to, and while I had hopes they might bounce back, most didn't make it, thus my good intentions now. Still, my side patio is shaping up, and if you're in the neighborhood, let me know, and we can share a beverage and discuss interesting things. I don't think I mentioned last time that I was recently a guest on the Uncommon Sense podcast from the Society of G.K. Chesterton. You can listen to it via podcast or watch it on YouTube. There are links in show notes. It was a fun time recording, and I would encourage you to come to the Chesterton Conference in July, where you can hear me speak on Russell Kirk and G.K. Chesterton. They also have such individuals as a fellow named Bishop Robert Barron on the speaker list. It will be a fun time. You may recall my mention during last episode's introduction that I was migrating to a new recording platform. That has happened, although the results haven't quite filtered into the podcast yet. However, it does increase costs for the podcast, thus your support is most appreciated. So please consider supporting Cultural Debris financially at patreon.com culturaldebris cultural debris, link in show notes. Just a few dollars makes a difference, and a few patrons at a few dollars makes a big difference. We are heading back to Italy this fall for a Cultural Debris excursion. We have a couple of spots open for the first week in Tuscany, where we will visit Florence and Siena in the latter half of October. Following that, we return to Genoa which everyone fell in love with last fall. In each place, we will see great sights, visit beautiful churches, eat fantastic food, and have exceptional conversations, all while staying in the heart of the old city. Our goal is to be visitors, but not necessarily tourists. If you have interest, now is the time to let me know at culturaldebrispodcast at gmail.com. Our poem is from John Haynes. If the owl calls again. At dusk from the island in the river, And it's not too cold, I'll wait for the moon to rise, Then take wing and glide to meet him. We will not speak, But hooded against the frost, Soar above the alder flat, Searching with tawny eyes, And then we'll sit in the shadowy spruce And pick the bones of careless mice. While the long moon drifts towards Asia and the river mutters in its icy bed. And when the morning climbs, the limbs will part with a sound fulfilled, floating homeward as the cold world awakens. My guest is John Harriet, editor of a new art compilation from Ignatius Press titled The Catholic. Home Gallery, 18 works of art by contemporary Catholic artists. We discuss the dying world of good used bookstores, what makes authentic art, and how to DIY your way to beautiful art on your own walls. John was kind enough to allow me to visit him in his home where we could record this interview person to person, which made for an even more fun interview experience for me. Please join me as I talk with John Harriet. John Harriet, welcome to Cultural Debris. Thanks for having me, Alan. I guess, uh, welcome Cultural Debris, but I'm, I'm here in your house, so you have welcomed me here, and I appreciate that very much
1: yeah thanks for coming up i know it's a bit of a
0: drive i kind of invited myself over but i uh, <laughs> i appreciate your accommodation now i always enjoy uh, getting to cincinnati uh it's a it's a place that i like a lot but don't it's not it's not that far but i don't get up here quite as often as i'd like so i may uh, may possibly go to a bookshop or two mm-hmm. after after we're done this morning there are a couple in town that i like so the ohio I, the ohio is all, is high on the list okay so uh what four floors of books i guess it is yeah so, so if somebody gets to cincinnati the ohio bookshop downtown is is a highly recommended place to visit
1: yeah it always makes me feel a little bit like uh the ending of indiana jones and, <laughs> uh because it, you go upstairs in the stacks and you have the giant lights that click on as right. you and their yeah. motion sensing and
0: <laughs> exactly and you are uh, they're also a little touchy about you leaving on time I was there around closing time one time and they were shooing me <laughs> out the door so um, but I, I do appreciate uh, kind of grumpy bookstore store owners I feel like that's a that's an old tradition yeah and um, very often kind of curmudgeonly and uh, so I you know I I like idiosyncratic bookshops. They don't all have to be half-price books. You and I were discussing a little bit of half-price books beforehand. That's, I go there because that's what's there, not because that's my preferred place to go. I I like a little hole in the wall. Or in the case of of Ohio Bookshop, it's not really a hole in the wall. It's a big multi-story building.
1: Yeah, that's one of the sad things about, I recently moved from California and San Francisco Almost all of the little small independent bookshops had closed up by the time that we had moved, and there was one last gasp one that used to be around the corner from where I work at Ignatius Press, and I would go there at lunch and find inspiration in the book covers that were there. Uh, and, uh, and then they closed, and I, the guy who ran it was sensed that I was distressed, and he tried to talk me into buying the place, which was very <laughs> tempting, very yeah, very it, tempting, yeah, but I didn't have be. the money. Well, yes.
0: Um. <laughs> Both of those things. That would be tempting, but you don't have the money. And and after you buy the bookstore, you you certainly wouldn't have the money because yes. <laughs> the bookstores don't make any money. But, um, you know, I think probably like a lot of people, I've long thought owning a bookstore would be a great thing to do. Um, but yeah. I, I'm not wealthy enough to own a bookstore. That's sort of like, sort of like buying a farm, right? You have to have <laughs> enough money to. To not run out of money before you die, I think. So. Um, but yeah. anyway, so it's uh, there was when I was in college. Uh, there was a little, literally, a hole in the wall bookstore called Whittington's Books, and uh, Whittington would um, you would come in and you didn't immediately see him, but he would be kind of hidden behind stacks of books. But he would occasionally be playing his banjo and singing uh, in the corner. But it was one of those. Bookshops where literally stacks of books everywhere. I mean, you odds are you were going to knock at least two stacks over to try to get to a bookshelf and so forth. But he didn't seem to mind. He seemed okay with it. But um, but it was uh, it was not really very well organized at all. But he knew where things were. But it was uh, it was just sort of a wonderland of used old no rhyme or reason kind of bookshop and prices were usually good and he would he would pontificate about definitely idiosyncratic opinions (laughs) that uh, (laughs) no one really would subscribe to but uh, but it was always a joy to go in there so i miss i do miss places like that you don't quite get the same vibe there's nobody playing a banjo in the corner of half price books no
1: no the other thing about the old school bookstore owners is they could always sense when you walked in if you were a book person or not. Mm-hmm. And if you were, then they would immediately glom onto that and they would know what where to, their entry to conversation were with, right. was with you. Yeah, I, I, I must not have
0: passed the test in uh, this There's this bookshop I, I went into in Rome back in November. It was just, a, again, a, a little hole in the wall place. I just stumbled across it. Went in there. Every pretty much everything. There was a very small English section, but everything was was pretty much Italian. But there was a, the bookstore owner was in there. I don't know that he even looked up to acknowledge me when I came in, and I I was in there not a long time, but several minutes, and we had zero interaction. <laughs> and uh, um, I suppose he he probably sensed American, and, uh, hmm. and that was probably all. But it was a great shop, and I appreciated. Uh, I, I wasn't offended at all. I, I appreciated his, uh, his tenacity in ignoring me. I, <laughs> felt, it, I felt like it was admirable. But. Uh, I'm up here to discuss uh, your new collection that you edited uh, from Ignatius Press called the Catholic Home Gallery. Yes. And I've uh, seen several sheets from that, uh, prints from that framed around your house.
1: Yeah, they're, they're going up here and there. I've got some in my office, some in the hallway, some in the uh, dining room, and there's a few upstairs, so.
0: They're beautifully printed.
1: Yeah, they, the printing company did a, a great job with the colors, uh, saturation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a company out of Canada called Friesians, and we usually do our color books at Ignatius there. Um, and I was really, really happy with how these came out. Yeah, I
0: mean, they're very, they're very striking. Yeah, uh, just the richness and vibrancy of them, I thought. Uh, yeah, it's very nice. And so, and this collection, uh, what are there? Eight? Is it eighteen? Yeah, eighteen. E- yeah, work, eighteen works of art. Is yeah,
1: nine right? different artists. Eighteen works of art. They are meant to be, if
0: one so chose, as you have done, to to remove them from the book. Yes, the and, pages are perforated and and put them in frames. I have not done that yet. I, th- that's the sort of thing that I always feel torn about because I'm sort of, I'm a book completist, so mm-hmm. I so I may <laughs> may have to get a second copy, that I, <laughs> so that I because because I kind of want them together in the book, but at the same time there are some in here that I I would kind of like to have up. So
1: yeah, um, well so. definitely there's uh, I mean there's a wide variety of styles in here. Uh, it's it's hard to you know I've been doing interviews for this on the radio primarily and, and so it always feels like it's a challenge cuz you're trying to get someone to understand something visual through a medium where you know it's you're just your voice right, right.
0: well it will call upon our communication skills to see if we can do that effectively yeah. but i will urge people of course and and i'll i will provide a link i'll go ahead and, and plug that in uh, early in the podcast i'll i will have links in show notes Mm-hmm. people can go to and just click and it will take them to uh to the website for this book on Ignatius's site and so forth and they can they can see them uh, a variety of styles we'll talk some about that but uh, some some lovely selections which of course as editor you were you were the driving force behind so I want to talk yeah. about that a little bit
1: yeah well um this kind of came about um over several years, but the I would say probably about a decade ago, um, uh, I really got the strong feeling that somebody should be putting together some of these artists together in a in a form where you can discover them uh, all at a piece, so to speak. Because uh, finding these contemporary Catholic artists online, you you have to kind of, you know, have somebody point you out to them. You have to be doing a lot of diligent searching on your own. I was part of this online um, Catholic designer artist um, and illustrator group that was called Small Packs. It's kind of a pun on smallpox, but you know, small mm-hmm. packs, small piece, uh, and it involved um, myself. Uh, uh, Ted Schlenderfritz, who's the art director for Gilbert Magazine, as well as a number of other magazines. Um, he, uh, ben Hatke, who's an uh, author, illustrator of children's books. Um, uh, Anthony Van Arsdale, Deacon Lawrence Klimecki. Uh Anyway, we, we kind of had this group blog where we would share things, and um, I ended up on that site also doing interviews with other artists that I liked. So I interviewed uh, Matthew Alderman, Daniel Mitsui, uh, Tim Jones, uh, and some of these artists end up in this collection. So that kind of the core group that I focused on when I was lo- trying to put this together is I really started out with Matthew Alderman, Timothy Jones, and Jim Janknet. And they if you look at the three of them, they have three very different styles. Matthew Alderman is doing a black and white sort of art nouveau style. Um, uh, Jim Janknet, he's got a very modern style with very, very bright colors, and then Tim Jones, he's more of what you would consider a classical realist approach to his art. Um, so from that sort of seed group where I, I started pestering people at work about this, and eventually the nagging paid off about 10 years later, <laughs> and uh, we went forward You didn't with it. give up. Yeah, well, I, and, then, and once we got to the point where we were gonna do it, then I started to look it around at other people I knew I wanted Michael O'Brien in there. He's best known for as a novelist. And I'm always surprised that some people don't know that he is also a an artist. That's kind of his first thing that he started doing was art. Um, and so I wanted to, to make sure he was in there. And then the other artists came about, you know, discovering them here and there. Bernadette Carstensen, I saw her, Our Lady Star of the Sea in person at Star of the Sea Parish in, in San Francisco and was very struck by it. Nielsen Carlin, I, I um, had seen some of his stuff around, and then when he, I saw his painting he did for the Meeting of Families uh, in uh, over in the East Coast, I, I knew I wanted to find him. And the, Matthew Connor, I'm trying to remember where I first saw his, it might have been Dappled Things, and uh, I was really fascinated by his work because he's got a bit of a modern sensibility, but then also his style really evokes the sort of illuminated books of ours and manuscripts of the 1400s, 1500s. Yeah, very
0: much of a sort of almost not quite Eastern Orthodox icon style, but it draws from that.
1: Yeah, if you look at his other work uh, on his website or on his Instagram, you'll you'll see he he has these really fascinating... um, ones that really do look like something from an old book of ours, like beekeepers and mm, other yes. people engaged in, in things uh, like that. And then there's uh, Elizabeth Zelasko, who She works in a kind of a, a variety of styles, so I used two pretty yeah, different styles yes, they're that very, you did here. They're,
0: they're very different. I mean, I think you probably wouldn't think they're the same artist initially. Yeah, she's about.
1: got like an icon of, of Father Emil Capon, uh, from, who's a venerable now, I think. Or least servant of God, but he's his he's progressing towards the you know canonization process, and then um, Our Lady of Levang and then Gwyneth Thompson Briggs. Uh, I uh, can't remember where I first came across her work I- either, but it, it, she's uh, a really marvelous painter. Out of uh, extraordinary yeah. with her
0: her pieces, they're yeah.
1: very, just very striking. Yeah, same she's in Saint Louis and. So the the ones that I included here are uh, portraits. Uh, I mean, paint well, portrait painting style of uh, Saint Benedict and Saint Scholastica, which she painted for the monks um, in Norcia, the uh, Benedictine monks up there in Italy. So I think these are altar pieces there now. Oh, wonderful. Well, it is uh, it is a fine and
0: and very varied collection which i know was intentional on your part to, to show different styles i i think that uh, and, and i guess i'll let me back up by saying i i'm somebody who occasionally and sometimes even on this podcast have griped some about modern religious art of various not not just illustrated work but other types of artistic expressions as well, but it is nice to see and encouraging to see pieces of real quality that that you because we, and I you you make note of this in in your um, the the piece the little piece you have in your in the book that we don't need to view religious art as something that's just backward looking I yeah. Mean, Those are beautiful things that we all appreciate. I certainly do. But art ought to be an expression of the lived culture of a people. Catholic art ought to be an expression of Mm -hmm. the vibrancy of of the lived faith now, right? So we ought to be producing art. I feel like art's not something that ought to be or ought to need to be maybe i should put it that way it shouldn't need to be um, self-consciously produced it's but it would be naturally produced as an outworking of the lived faith of the people
1: yeah i i i think that any time that you have an authentic culture it to a certain extent is going to be unconscious in its inception, at least, it is conscious in the way that it's carried out. But uh, I think that once you get ex- ex- excessively detached from that, I sometimes will see people who are doing um, modern realist art that uh, is very, very, you know, trying really, really trying to to resurrect like the academic style of the of the mid eighteen hundreds, and to me, it often ends up looking a little bit like Disneyland or Vegas. It's like it's been divorced from its original context, and you're just trying to recreate this because it um, it's a style that, that somebody is, is um, sort of dredging up in, as a sort of encased in amber sort of style. And I think the better approach is when you look back at these older styles and these um, traditions, uh, in the way, methods of academic instruction and you allow that to inform something going forward and going into into something new because you can never actually go back but uh, I think Pope Benedict talks about you know our understanding the heritage of um, especially European culture requires a humility that can both accept the errors that it committed, but also accept its greatness. So if you're an artist working in, uh, you know, the great Catholic tradition, you should be humble enough to accept the wisdom of the painters that came before you. Um, And uh, I think certainly all the people that are involved in this uh, seem to be taking that to heart.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, they're all of them have a certain contemporary feel, I think. Yeah. And but but not in a modern art sort of way. <laughs>
1: well, it, I mean, it depends on how you're de- right. how you're sure. going to define modern art because mo- right. modern art is an art uh, term that gets thrown around uh, in a way that I think often ends up renders it so, almost sort of meaningless because it, does it mean modern people who are making art? Does it mean a specific mode of art? Uh, Daniel, I mean, uh, Matthew Alderman, he, in his notes that he provides, I'm going to read it just really quick, as a short little bit, because I think it kind of gets at the heart of what the mission of the of an artist, cause I agree with what he says here. The stereotypical contemporary view of art, which I think has pretty much murdered any good in it, sees it largely as a regurgitation of the artist's Interior self expression. I think I have some private insights to bring to the table as part of the process, but my mission is to depict and express God and his saints in line with what has been passed down to us through divine revelation through two, the two millennia of liturgy, art, and Catholic culture. So, again, that's Matthew Alderman. And, um, you know, he's definitely working in a style that is informed by Art Nouveau, which is something that is a relatively modern uh, art school. Yes. Uh, but you know he, he is recognizing how he's working through this is not in a way that is all about putting his own self-expression in an abstract way on the page. And that's one of the things that I, I think is interesting about a lot of the modern realist school uh, artists You'll, you'll see out there, they're painting in a style that is very realist, very modern, I mean, very uh, in line with traditional academic training. But they, it seems like a lot of them feel like they have to have this kind of hook in which they're sort of um, deconstructing or, or doing something else that is subversive of what the original type of this um, painting would be sometimes it's interesting sometimes it's very well done but at the same time it often feels like it's uh, portrayed
0: both. in kind of an ironic way there's some yeah. irony to it yeah I, I think I think that our modern culture very much struggles with being earnest yeah. being sincere I think that we we default to irony sometimes I think out of fear of being too serious. I don't know I, I don't no. know exactly how but I I I think that it is I think it is a a modern flaw that that we tend to devolve too much in irony which is itself kind of yeah undermining of what of what we're doing. And I and I don't see that in any of these pieces. No, no,
1: it's I think that um yeah, I mean it, we see that even in uh, like kind of a lot of the pop culture stuff is that you can't take uh, you know anything super seriously. Like we we were, um, you know, the heroic tales that are supposedly heroic tales told through like the Marvel movies have always got to have you know some sort of quip and insincerity in there to make sure you know that they're not taking this entirely. Yeah, there's seriously. always conf-
0: there's a link to the audience. Yeah. in some way.
1: Yeah, so. But but
0: but that's I mean, and not that I mean we can we can look back and see a playfulness in we were uh, talking about kind of the books of hours and so forth. You can see a lot of playfulness in those illustrations. I mean, you know, you would have uh, people riding snails and jousting and you know armored rabbits and that kind of thing. But I think. I think that's diff, uh, That a playfulness is different from that kind of winking irony. It seems to me.
1: Yeah. I, well, I, I think playfulness is something that comes out of a creative spirit, and uh, a the sort of irony, sort of thing comes out of a more of a critique of creativity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, think
0: that well put. I think. But you you have done a fine job of tracking down thoughtful. I, I almost said straightforward. I don't mean that in a negative way, but but <laughs> earnest artists, I guess I will say, uh, but of a wide a wide variety. I mean, I think that that, that makes the point. You're talking about uh, with religious art, if we're drawing from the past, which we ought to do, uh, we're not ossifying within even a certain style. We have a wide variety of styles mm-hmm. here, uh, but all are... Um, I think thoughtful and reverent, and uh, yeah, there is some I think some playfulness in some of them uh less you know others are are very um, are are very earnest and serious um, but they are drawing from though from the tradition in a in an authentic way I think, yeah. you know? and that's because like you said you're not. It's not a matter of are we are we going to go back and do simply uh, a copy of the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel or something? That's not yeah. that's not that's, that's certainly not how the Sistine Chapel came about. It was a very exuberant, original, brilliant exercise.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think one of the things that we're also a little bit hampered by, uh, as Catholics who are working in the arts today, is that there, I sometimes feels to me like the last gasp of like actual artistic schools associated. I mean, as far as in you know school of thought among artists, uh, kind of the last gasp of that was. The early 1900s. There isn't really like a unified artistic movement associated with Catholic art um, these days. So you do end up um, running the risk of becoming too individualistic in your approach. Um, Where, but at the same time, it does mean that there's a greater variety of styles out there. Uh, I mean, if you look at, go to any museum um, and you look at the artists working. Uh, at the time, you know, you have the, like the, the, you can definitely tell like these are the Netherlandish artists. These are the artists of the Northern Italian Renaissance. They, they've got this unified movement and individual artists are making a brilliant variation on that, but it's, it, there's sort of some guidelines that they f- feel like they're working from. So if you're a Catholic artist working today, you don't have something like that really. you, you What you have is a variety of Traditions to draw upon, but nobody giving you like you fit into this tradition. Right. Yeah, I, that's that's an interesting point because uh, parameters
0: are are good, can be good, yeah. um, because they they give you, I guess through sort of like the old you know Ch- Chesterton's fence idea that you're mm-hmm. uh, they give you safety, but room to play around within. Within the parameters, here you are. There aren't, I guess, a a problem with modernity, if I can throw that word out there. But that there aren't parameters, right? That there that um, that's you know that's often seen as a feature, not a bug. But it can be a bug because. It is wide open, and you just, you're. I can see perhaps as an artist, you're staring at the blank canvas. What do you do, right? And that's mm-hmm. sort of the, I guess, the, the, whether writer or uh, artist or musician, it's, that's always the, <laughs> that's always the challenge. What do I do with this? But when all worlds are open to you, I can see where it might be a little bit petrifying. You kind of have to find some kind of niche. Maybe to fit yourself into in a way to self-limit in order to create. Is that does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Well, I I think any artist that successfully design comes up with their own style. um, I think that's what they've done. And Mm -hmm. one of the um, challenges with modern art training, as far as when I'm saying modern art, I mean modern world your artistic training is that for a lot of people, um, this isn't this is so much the case anymore, but uh, for a very long time there, there was much more emphasis put on you as a subjective interpreter of the world around you than it was on learning the skills that you needed to depict the world around you. And so um, a lot of uh, artists today, uh, if you, they have a hard time with that uh, training, uh, getting to the point where, okay, I've learned enough skills that I now I can go out and create my own style. Which you know, style for artists, I think kind of comes naturally. Um, but if you don't get those, you know, fundamental rules learned first, I mean, it's it's like you know, reading Mark Twain. He his use of the vernacular is is great. And the way that he plays around with language, but if he had never learned proper English to, at the beginning outset, then would he know how to break the rules in a way that are so brilliant? And same goes with visual arts. If you don't learn all that stuff first, then you don't know where to bend them in ways that make it interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a language um, there's a there are techniques there, especially when you're talking about religious art. Of course, you have a world of symbolism that you're working with that, yeah. that you need to know about and would need to know more, a lot more about than I know about. Um, but it's something that if you're going, especially if you're doing some sort of actual liturgical art, that's going to be used within a context of a, a holy place that that's something you would need to know well and take seriously i think in order to operate um, in an effective and appropriate way i suppose
1: yeah and i mean that's one of the interesting things is if you look at um one of the artists i have in here uh, jim janknet he's uh probably the most modern looking as far as the stereotypical idea of modern art uh, of all the painters in here but he's also I think one of the ones who's the most traditional in his usage of uh, Catholic Christian symbolism. If you look at his work, not just the one in here, he's got a depiction of Our Lady of Fatima with the miracle of the sun, and then a, a depiction of um, Mary as the Ark of the Covenant. He's got all of this symbolism and uh, and co- use of color and use of image in these Paintings that shows his r- extreme depth of knowledge about what do these colors mean? What do these symbols mean? Uh, where do they come from? How do they fit into our tradition? Uh, and it, it's one of the things that I find really interesting about him as an artist. Um, so,
0: yeah, it's a very. Uh, I mean, it's not a, a, a strictly realistic style at all um, but it's very evocative um, and and the symbolism and I know that there's more there than I'm even picking up on for sure um, but it is uh, they're they're very striking pieces yeah
1: I mean you got the Mary uh, the ark and the burning bush and uh, yeah it's a it's 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 a very, it's a very uh, interesting depiction there, and then with some of these other uh, artists, like um, Bernadette Karstensen, she has a sort of an interpretation of a title of St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, Mm -hmm. and— Yeah, that's
0: one that I particularly like, actually.
1: Yeah, um, but I don't think I've ever seen a depiction like this before. So his staff, which traditionally is often shown uh, sprouting into lilies, is in the hands of of uh jesus child Jesus, and together they have vanquished this demon and the the um end of the staff has become a spear uh pointed at the neck of this demon and um and and child jesus is
0: almost lackadaisical in the way that he he holds the staff i feel like he's it, there's no if you look at his expression, there's certainly no, there's no fierceness to it. It's yeah, um, it's very calm.
1: Yeah. So anyway, that was one that my um, youngest son immediately demanded I pull out and put. <laughs> and he, before I even got the final version, actually, I got proofs in, and he he zeroed in on that and said he wanted it on his wall. Yeah, um, beautiful.
0: Yeah, it, it's uh, I I I like both of his very much. Um, some of them. I mean, obviously, it was with with anyone, uh, some of these, some of the artists are more striking to me in my tastes. Um, yeah, Carlin Nielsen Carlin is particularly striking to me, and his his um, portrayal of uh, Father Jacques is it Hamel? I think it's Hamel. Yeah, Hamel. Father Jacques Hamel, who was martyred in France just a few years ago.
1: Yeah, twenty sixteen.
0: Uh, that was. This is actually a. A, a piece that I had seen online and mm-hmm. I think even tweeted at some point in the past um and so I was pleased to see it in the collection because it's it's one that's i think is very striking it's just it's very moving to me yeah. uh, also knowing the story uh of his of his martyrdom
1: yeah it's it's a very um powerful image he's got uh father Hamel with the the uh, Eucharist in his hands and a knife suspended at his throat uh, and a bit of blood uh, coming from his neck but it's not garish or lurid anyway right. it's, it's just sort of a hint. And, and it it looks his expression is very peaceful and like he is you know serene and then it has his you know last words there painted behind him uh, Saint in Va you know go go away satan is what he said to his attackers before he was killed
0: yeah it's it's it is lovely um and one that that uh i probably will probably make its way to my wall mm-hmm. at some point um and this is just sort of you know my own personal favorites. i i, I do like that one a lot I do like the the uh, Bernadette Carstensen, particularly the Joseph, yeah, Um, and then also uh, the Gwyneth Thompson Briggs, particularly the Saint Scholastica, yeah. Uh, That one I just think is extraordinary. I just love it.
1: Yeah. Well, I I I liked how she uh, varied the pose of the of the. Benedict and Scholastica. So Benedict, he's looking down, downward, towards the book, which I uh, presume is the rule. And uh, but Scholastica is, is looking out at us in a very open uh, gaze, in a way that is, um, you know, almost sort of like challenging you. Uh, and and it's, um, it's one of the I, one of the reasons I want to put it up in the upstairs hallway is you know these are two. Siblings who uh, sort of challenge one, one another to ho- live a holy night- life and encourage one another, and you know, upstairs is where all of our kids' bedrooms are. So I, I think having that sort of reminder that you know siblings can are there for each other can, can in this way helpful right? <laughs> uh, would, would be, is is a good uh, good thing to keep in mind. Yes, absolutely. That you can you can
0: point point one another in the right direction. In fact, so. Uh, but yes, it, and I, I noted uh, also in the, the notes about this that um, that she used siblings as models.
1: Yeah, and if you look at her website, actually, she has some interesting, uh, I think she posted there, but she, she actually like was able to get um, uh, some uh, actual, like a wimple and everything like that in order to put, put it on the models to see what it would look like mm-hmm. rather than trying to draw from imagination or right. a, a photograph somewhere. So she's one of the, both she and um, and uh, Nielsen Carlin do a lot of work from life, so uh, she's one of the artists who, here who's, who's definitely working from a model rather than from uh, imagination or something.
0: And there's, uh, there is a little bit of a connection, I'm sure that's probably why I I'm drawn to them, but I think there's a, a connection in in kind of approach between Carlin and Thompson Briggs. The and the they're not the same, but there's a a, a realness, a realisticness to them. Maybe mm-hmm. that, but they're but they're they're very piercing. I feel like they come, yeah. they come at you uh, yeah. in a very strong way. That uh, that is appealing. I
1: think. Yeah. Uh, Some of my other favorites in in here, um, I really love Tim Jones, um, Queen of Heaven, which Mm -hmm. has Our Lady of Guadalupe um, as the uh, woman clothed with the the sun from Revelation. And she's in the heavens, and the, um, the way that he's depicted it is, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely evoking the um, Guadalupe image, but he, he's made some changes a bit to the way that uh, her mantle is and the way that it blends in here with the stars in the, mm-hmm. in the night sky there. Um, it's a it's, it's really very striking piece. You're listening to the Cultural Debris Podcast.
0: One of the things you and I talked about a little bit before, before we hit the on button was supporting um, current artists obviously and I know you mentioned in your in your notes in the book that you know if this does well perhaps more mm-hmm. such collections will follow how um, we will have we will have a flourishing artistic output to some degree tied to the willingness of people to support and encourage it, right?
1: That's definitely true. And so one of the things with this book is is that uh, um, I I really wanted it to bring attention to these individual artists. So um, each of them, it does have information about where you can find their work elsewhere online or if they have an individual website. Um, All the artists in here um, do commissions. Um, if you're one of those with deep pockets. Uh, But if you're not one of those with deep pockets, if you're just one of the average folks like myself, then buying a print directly from them or um, something like that, or even just sharing their work online with attribution and telling people where they can find more of it is a, a way you can also help support an artist uh but I, I you know you think of the past all of the a lot of the great artistic tradition of the church a lot of that was supported by very wealthy donors um, who were paying for the, the works of art and oftentimes the stuff you see in museums you you think oh this was it must have been in a chapel or something like that. well maybe it was in a private chapel a lot of these were private works right. they weren't necessarily public works but um, with the artists who are working nowadays, uh, you know, they they most people are not going to find a an extremely wealthy patron who's going to make them the household artist of their family. <laughs> the
0: rich people spend their money on the wrong things. <laughs> yeah. So, um,
1: and w- with that sort of thing, I mean, one of the great things today, uh, you know, there's a lot of g- great bad things about social media, but one of the great things about social media, especially. Uh, things like Instagram is it has uh, widened the audience for a lot of these artists. They they are able to find um, people are able to find them there and people are able to share their content. Um, And it's a shame to reduce religious art to content. I feel almost bad having just said that. (laughs) But um, at the same time, you know, uh, I grew up in a house that, was, that had tons and tons of religious imagery and um, my mom just loved collecting religious art. I've tried to have good religious art in my own home because uh, my kids are growing up in it and they're seeing this stuff every day and that is informing their imagination. It's getting in their subconscious. It's going to be there when they think back about their childhood home and when they think about these saints and about uh, Jesus and about God. and. Um, so if you've got that visual language, visual information that's been implanted in their head, you know, that's there. That's gonna feel like home. That's gonna feel like the people that they know. And so getting this sort of stuff into your home is not um, merely an add-on or something like that. It feels to me almost, more like an essential element of a good home.
0: Now, I think that that's an important aspect, and some it's a it's a drum I've beaten before too. But that art art shouldn't simply be something we go to a museum to see. Yeah, uh, Cincinnati has some very good museums. Yeah, very fine, very yeah. fine museums mm-hmm. uh, that I enjoy visiting, and uh, they do nice exhibitions, and those are wonderful things because you can see things you would never see otherwise. But our homes should be places of art. You know, yeah. you're talking about wealthy people who are commissioning private pieces. It is unlikely that you and I will have a home full of those, those kinds of directly commissioned pieces. But that doesn't mean that you can't even, that you can't even have something akin to original arts, print, uh, prints or uh, from the artist and sometimes yeah. limited editions, that sort of thing that they have done. But also with books like this, Beautiful contemporary art that you can take out and frame. You have been posting recently some uh, even videos about getting thrift store frames and that sort of thing. That's something I do. I pick up for, every time I go to the thrift store. I, I always go through their frames to see yeah. <laughs> to see what's there, um, and and doing a DIY, yeah, framing at home. You don't. Ha- this does it doesn't have to be complicated.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I think sometimes people get a little too fussy about. Art in their home, and uh, especially religious art, where they feel like there's only a specific place where they could put it, or and, and you know, really sprinkling it throughout your art uh, throughout your house is, is not a bad thing to do. Um, and also, uh, one of the artists I really love um, he and his wife uh, is Carl and Karen uh, Larson. Uh, I actually, the colors in this room are. are um, based on one of the rooms in his home in, in Sweden. He was a, an artist back in the um, uh, late 1800s or through early 1900s and he's famous for these books that he put together that were just called a home and other things that showed life in his house. But he he w- talks a lot about how the the house is an organic thing and it changes throughout your life and it, the art you move in, the furniture you move in, the things you move out, the, the colors you paint it, uh, it should be shifting to the needs of your family, it should be shifting to the needs of the individual who's there, and um, it should be a sort of place that helps you find inspiration. So uh, I've uh, tried in my own house, because I'm a, I'm a very visual person, I work in graphic design and stuff like that, I, I try to have things in here that can inspire me if I'm feeling like I, I need some visual inspiration somewhere, I can walk around the house and find it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we art should be something that surrounds us all the time, I feel like, and it, it ought to be well chosen, um, thoughtful, but it doesn't have to be expensive. Yeah, um, and, and in fact. We live we probably live in an age when art is less appreciated than perhaps in any other time, but it's also more accessible than any other time it's it's out there
1: yeah well it it's one of those things where it's it's kind of like um anything else right now the we have uh, such a uh an extreme variety of choices that you can make uh, with art with music with films with books with clothing that um It sometimes feels a little bit paralyzing so
0: it's like artists uh, we were talking about the artists themselves, right? Yeah, (laughs) yeah
1: So being able to narrow it down to oh, I like this. I like that You know, it's one of the things you should try to do and I think also especially with the sort of visual presentation of a lot of social media oftentimes people will feel pressured to like, oh, I, I need to like this type of thing because that's what's popular right now. I need to like that. And even if they don't particularly actually like it. Right. And so I think finding out what is your taste? What do you actually like? What, what, what speaks to you? That's something that um, everybody can do. And it just takes a little bit of looking around. Yeah,
0: I think... Uh, having that kind of confidence is, is difficult a lot of times for people. And we're all influenced, of course, by what other people like and so forth, and what we see. I think, um, but it in this sort of influencer world, it is easy to become kind of a slavish follower of yeah. X, Y, or Z individual, or or whatever the the look is, and so forth, and um i mean there's there's something to be said for refined eclecticism i guess that we yeah. can, uh you you don't i mean you have you have a very wide variety here on the walls that surround us from a Alec Guinness movie card to uh japanese art uh and uh behind me is a, a caricature of conan O'Brien so
1: yeah, and I've uh, got Sherlock Holmes, and I've got a Dalek up there. <laughs> yeah,
0: very good. I, 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 yeah. I feel right at home. We've got soldiers needs them, so you've got photography. And that's that's another area. I mean, it's not part of, of what we're doing here, but photography is another area.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, this uh, this painting, I mean, this photo up here of the Northern Lights, that's by my cousin, uh, Tom Woods. Uh, he gave me a bunch of his photographs a while back. He's an excellent photographer.
0: Yeah, and... Um, And there are creative ways to 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 find original art. There's a photographer who I don't know personally, but I had a connection with through a professor of mine in school, and I ended up trading with her for some for a couple of her photographs, which were wonderful. And I have hanging, and I did a DIY framing job on them. (laughs) Uh, My framing job probably doesn't live up to to her uh, to her work, but. Um, But art doesn't have to be, or the art that we have hanging in our homes, doesn't have to be the art of the traditional great masters. It can be that. But I think it's beneficial and more beneficial to the current art scene, if you will, to art production, to find contemporary living artists to support and encourage.
1: That's true. And and One of the other things with... um, Uh, the little one of my little secrets that I tell people is a lot of great artists you may find from the past a lot oftentimes you can find high resolution versions of their art on places like uh, Wikipedia download those and get them printed up on nice quality paper from a you know regular photo printer anywhere and then frame those if you if they're things you can't find a print of online.
0: Yeah. Again, we we live in yeah in in an age when when you should do that probably probably not the nicest thing to do if it's somebody who's a currently living. Artist. No, I <laughs> would I would not do that with a
1: that that's that is one of the, my pet peeves is when people rip off um, currently working artists they right. are uh, or don't credit them. Right. Or, it um, is their livelihood. It's their yeah.
0: it's their what they what they themselves have done through yeah. great trial and struggle we often think people who do things well do it easily but usually just the opposite
1: well even if they are doing it easily at the time it's because they've put in countless hours getting to that point correct right right
0: yeah you're not you're not necessarily paying them for for the hours that they um that they put in for that particular piece you're putting them paying them for the hours that they've spent over the past few decades developing the ability to do that yeah, uh, That, that is, uh, goes along with it as well. So you also um, are uh, a designer for Ignatius Press who published this. You work yeah. with them. Uh, tell me a little bit about your role there.
1: Well, I'm the catalog manager, which uh, is a sort of deceptive title because I do a whole lot of other stuff. So um, I, I do shepherd our catalogs into being. I do a fair amount of the layout on them. Their uh, latest one uh, just came in. Um, which if people are on our list, they'll, they'll get it. It's got a, a photo, black and white photograph of Pope Benedict on mm. yeah, um, nice. uh, the cover. But the I do a fair number of our book covers. If people are uh, like reading the classics, they'll probably recognize the Ignatius Critical Editions. I design all the covers of those. I also get to pick the quote that goes on the co- There's always a little quote oh, from the book. Nice. I, pi- I pick those. <laughs> I've only gotten vetoed once, so I guess I've got fairly good taste. Yeah, very good. (laughs) And and then uh, I do all of our DVD covers, um, and I do a fair amount of our marketing miscellanea for various other things. Uh, And I've done some illustrations, too. I've illustrated three of the vision books for children, Mm -hmm. and I've illustrated, uh, I don't know how many book cover illustrations I've done, but I've done a fair number.
0: Well, I was going to say, uh, you yourself are an artist. Um, yeah. And um, what what kind of things do you do you like to do, or are you drawn to just on your own? If you're not designing a book cover. Or-
1: I I recently did for the very first time a linoleum block print for holiday uh, cards um, for this last uh, Christmas season, and I I really enjoyed that. So I'm, I've got some more materials to try expanding on that. I mostly do drawing, um, but I have done oil painting as well. There's number of my old oil paintings in the other room. And I want to get back into that a little more um, these days. But, uh, yeah, I, I kind of do this, that, and the other. One of the most fun things that I do um, art-wise, and I've done this since my kids are small, is that whenever they have a birthday, I um, make them a card. I usually paint it in watercolors. and. Uh, and then we put them away after the, after the birthdays passed, and eventually when they're adults, I'll give them all their birthday cards from their the various years yeah, of their childhood. Very
0: nice. That'll, that'll be a treasure for them.
1: Yeah. Hope they'll enjoy it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. Well, the book is the Catholic Home Gallery and eighteen works of art by contemporary Catholic artists. It is, uh, well, it's a sort of eight by ten.
1: Size. Yeah, they, the prints are supposed to be 8x10 and they are 8x10 if you're going to frame them in a mat. I, I okay. discovered when I started tried putting one into an actual 8x10 frame that they are just slightly too wide. Mm. So what I've done with those ones is I've got out an X-Acto and trimmed them with the help of a metal ruler. Mm-hmm. You could also use scissors, um, but uh, they, the, if you're going to put them in an 8x10 frame flat out, you do need to trim them just just, just
0: a smidge.
1: Just a smidge.
0: Yeah. And they, but they, they are frameable and are meant to be framed. Yes, they're meant to be framed. Yeah. And uh, so buy two copies, one, one to keep, <laughs> one to frame. Um, but support these because it, it encourages the very thing that we, or at least I, say that we need to have, which is more, more uh, contemporary, beautiful art.
1: Yeah, and if you you know if if you look at this and you're not moved by any of these pieces, go out and start looking around, see if there's any other Catholic artists out there who really catch your eye. I feel like if people aren't moved by any of these pieces, they probably need to
0: meditate <laughs> on some of these pieces. <laughs> Sometimes <clears throat> our taste can be trained, so that's uh, that is true, and, and and ought to be very often. So. I appreciate you letting me visit with you today and having me in your home. Yeah, thanks for coming up, and I've enjoyed it. A lovely home in a lovely part of Cincinnati.
1: Yeah, we're uh, kind of smack dab in the middle of Cincinnati here. So
0: Cincinnati is has a uh, has some beautiful old neighborhoods and beautiful old architecture. Yeah. Um, Sadly, some of that was lost to the building of freeways and so forth down by the river yeah which we can and should bemoan Um, but there's there's a lot that's left
1: yeah it's um one of those uh, uh, things where i I didn't know till we moved out here how much there was out here just architecturally it's 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 fascinating city just to drive around
0: and some beautiful churches Oh yeah, beautiful uh, here beautiful, in beautiful Cincinnati trees. and Northern Kentucky, uh, just across the river.
1: Yeah, uh, the um, the uh, over in and Covington. We've um, gone there, and uh, we generally go to mass downtown at Saint Xavier, the Jesuit parish, mm-hmm. which is a beautiful. Okay. And they're going to be they're renovating, and if you if uh, if you go to their website, I think they have a picture of what the renovation is going to look like, and it's it's beautiful. They're moving the tabernacle back to the center. Oh, wonderful. Um, and uh, they. Uh, Colors and stuff they've chosen are very There nice.
0: seems to be, maybe I just see it in a, it's a sort of uh, self-reaffirming opinion, but there seems to be a movement to sort of renovate the recovations of of the past to some degree or restore some of the more traditional liturgical elements in churches.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think so. Uh, and there's also... Um, I, it seems to me like there's a renewed interest in, uh, I mean, people talk a lot about the extraordinary form of mass, but aside from that, I think there's been a lot of renewed interest in reintroducing a little bit of the traditional Latin responses um, to the Novus Horus masses that I've been to.
0: I think that's true. I'm, uh, I, I will admit my experience with that doesn't extend far back, but uh, even in Lexington at Christ the King, where I attended the cathedral, uh, I think there has been more of that, That's mm-hmm. trending that way. So that, in my opinion, a good trend. But yeah, I think, I think people are becoming more conscious of that. Um, and so that's a, a healthy thing, I believe. But, um, but, so encourage people to come to Cincinnati and, and see the architecture and the museums, and there's a, there's a lot here, really.
1: Yeah, it's it's uh, it's one of those uh, cities that I think people get surprised when they come here because it's uh, it's I think people don't know exactly. I mean, I, when I came here, I did not know the variety of things that you'd find. Uh, and uh, it
0: and it's right across the river from Kentucky, the <laughs> the, the the verdant bluegrass.
1: Yeah, there's a distillery right across the river, New Riff. That's pretty good. It is.
0: Yes, I'm I'm actually a big fan of New Riff and. Uh, one hmm. I recommend to people regularly. I think it's one of the very best newer distilleries in the state of Kentucky. Uh, yeah. it's, uh, it is, rel- for a newer distillery, pretty pretty value priced. and But I think you get a lot of bang for your buck with it. Hmm. They should be coming out with some more aged products soon, I think. And I'm excited to see what that going to be like and uh, their rye is also very good by the way so
1: well good to hear i'm, I'm going over there for a, a tasting in about a week or so uh-huh. because i've got pe- friends coming into town oh, that's they what have
0: they want to a a rye called balboa rye that i Mm. recommend highly. Their malted rye is also very good, but their balboa rye is
1: really good. So Oh, look forward to that. Yeah.
0: So, uh, so yeah, you've got to just, I mean, and it's right across the river in Newport. Like you literally it's, step out and see the flood wall kind of right there. It's,
1: I think it's a 12 minute drive from here. So yeah, right. So not bad. <laughs> absolutely.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> well placed, uh, for the, uh, for the Cincinnati traveler. So well, thank you very much, and uh, I enjoy it. And we'll we'll talk again. I hope.
1: Yeah, thanks.